pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. We're talking NFL football, but not the NFL football that so many of us know today. We're going back to the year 1920, and we're going to Rochester, New York, and we're going to talk about the Rochester Jeffersons and also the other original group of NFL teams, which, as I mentioned, are the Canton Bulldogs, Columbus Panhandles, uh, Akron Pros, Dayton Triangles, Hammond Pros, Muncie Flyers, Rock Island Independents, Racing Cardinals, Buffalo All-Americans, Chicago Tigers, Detroit Heralds, Cleveland Tigers, Decatur Staley's, and the Rochester Jeffersons, then known as the American Professional Football Association. We bring in the historian of the Rochester Jeffersons in John Steffenhagen. John, how are you this morning, sir? I'm good, John. How are you? Good. Doing well. Thanks for joining the show, and um, thanks for coming on to tell this story, which I know that, you know, as you told me last night messaging back and forth, you said people of Canton should know this, and I think they do know the story, but I don't know that they'll have the perspective that you'll be able to bring to this and and have some of the um, extra knowledge that you'll have with this. So... Let's start first by getting into this story about your great-grandfather and who he was and why he is important to the founding of the NFL. Okay, well, like I said, a lot of people, my my story is three layers. I mean, you've got the the 1900s where Leo was around and, and did the things he did. Then back in the 1980s when my mother had given me boxes that were given to her by Leo and then just a few months ago, getting married and moving into a house, and as I was transferring things from those old boxes into new bins, uh, several things popped out of inside of different uh, material, like programs, that they actually shed an incredible light on the things that I have, including a journal chronicling the first six seasons of the NFL. Wow. That's pretty amazing. So, <laughs> So where to start is, is, like I say, it could take three days. So uh, wherever you want to start, I could start with Leo and, and his thing first. And then. Yeah. Tell us, tell us about your great grandfather, Leo Lyons. Tell us about him and, and tell us where he fits into this perspective and, and where his story is with this. Okay. I really, Leo was really um, more of a fan than a businessman for sure. And it, it really hurt him in the end, but Leo started in 1908 as a 16-year-old player, he joined the Rochester Jeffersons, who were named after the street they played on, Jefferson Avenue, uh, which just made up of local kids on the sandlot. Uh, during that time, he had he wanted to make, he would always ask his family and friends, you know, why is there pro football? You guys are all rooting for baseball, the New York Giant baseball team, and how come there's no football? And, you know, people's like, there's college football. There's no need for another league. And so he got it in his mind during the next two years. Uh, he would dream of the Jeffersons being a pro team and a pro league. And so it would become an obsession. 
And during that time, I consider him like the Forrest Gump because of all the people that he came in contact with. And I have proof from newspaper articles because I wouldn't believe it myself. So, for instance, when they were starting the team up, by 1910, Leo took over as player, manager, coach, and owner of the Rochester Jeffersons because he wanted to direct the team the way he wanted to to become more professional. So at that time, he was friends with Walter Hagen, the famous, what, 11-time golf pro champion? Yeah. So back then, they were kids. They were in their teens. It was before Walter. It was actually four years before Walter Hagen would win his first pro title, the U.S. Open. But their fathers worked together at a train manufacturing uh, plant where they made trains here in Rochester train cars. So their fathers worked together, and they would bring their kids along to maybe learn the trade. So that's when he met Walter Hagen. So as we talk later about these journal notes, it it shines light on what happened, what was going on. And as I'm reading through these journal notes, I mean, I've got Walter Hagen and Leo going to a lumber store, purchasing two-by-fours to put up the goalposts and building the benches for the sidelines and buying bags of lime. That's how they would stripe the field, was with not paint, but lime, <laughs> like a powder they would put down for the lime. So it was pretty mind-boggling to learn all that. Wow, that is that is so unique and, and such a unique piece to it. Now, some of the things that you've been able to uncover that your grandfather, your great-grandfather had as part of his collection, there are some pretty... Uh, amazing original pieces as John Steffenhagen is my guest this morning. Uh, he is the Rochester Jefferson's historian, one of the original NFL teams. He has some pretty amazing like artifacts in that 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 like kind of box that he had. And and my dad was telling me that he got that box from Curly Lambeau, didn't he? Yeah, the, 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 we call it now the the money box, the Green Bay Packers money box. And uh, the story behind that was. Uh, that had been in the original boxes from my mom back in the 80s. So the story with that is that with these boxes in the 1980s, I was in high school. Uh, I would go through the boxes. I go, you know, what are these? And she's like, Leo told me to just hand them down, and someday they'll be worth a lot of money. So, so we would go through the boxes, and there's like telephones and just like old antiques mixed with, Football stuff, which I knew right away was, you know, important. You know, football, um, you know, there were postcards from Art Rooney, Christmas cards from Art Rooney, uh, things like that, which I knew were big. Uh, There was probably maybe 100 photographs with him, with Vince Lombardi, with uh, Jim Thorpe, you know, George Halas, Art Rooney, on and on. So, um, anyways, as far as the Lambo box, because we could talk all day, (laughs) the Lambo box, my mom always called it Leo's cigar box because she remembers it being next to his chair in the living room, and uh, he would have it there. So my mom just kept it on a knickknack shelf, and it's an old leather um, box, wood with a leather coating and a glass interior, and it had a really bad latch, which you couldn't open up. So we would just set it on the knickknack shelf. So for 40 years, I walked by that thing, you know, going to my bedroom. And so recently with the notes popping out of that journal of the program, 
Um, it tells me that, oh, there, I'm sorry, there was an inventory list that came out of that attached to a memo from Pete Rosell in 1966 asking Leo for an inventory list. And then I turned it over. There was an inventory list which had probably 50 things on it. And I've only been able to come up with 18 things that I have. But anyways, on that list, it said uh, 1925 Green Bay Packers money box. So I was like, wow, money box. That's weird. I'm trying to think. Could it, it probably can't be that old wooden box. So also came out of these things, an old journal. There were just pages. They were, it wasn't, it had actually separated from its binder and luckily, there was numbers on top of the page, and he dated most of the pages. So there's a, as I was going through the, the passages, I find a 1925 uh, page, and Leo didn't write in detail, but he just wrote down in you know sentences or just to jot it down a note. It says 1925, Rochester at Green Bay, um, Green Bay Law or Green Bay 133 to 13 after the game. Curly Lambeau gave me the Green Bay Packers money box. And wow. why he gave it to him was because it had a bad latch. <laughs> so, so I almost passed out. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This can't be the box from Curly Lambeau. So I also remembered on top of the box, there was a very small uh, ornate. Um, it had three initials on the top and it, we knew it weren't, they weren't Leo's. So, over the years, I had been researching for years, looking up those initials to match up a player that maybe a player had given it to him. Well, I know it sounds easy now, but the initials on top were GBP. So now all of a sudden it's like, you know, oh, my God, GBP is Green Bay Packers. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. like I say, with 18 of these things, a lot of things got thrown away, a lot of things went to the Hall of Fame, but I still have 18 pieces of incredible treasures from the NFL. Well, and, and your great-grandfather is, John Steffenhagen is my guest here. He is the Rochester Jeffersons historian. The Rochester Jeffersons were one of the original NFL teams uh, going way back to 1920. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was that he was at the original meeting here in Canton, Ohio, your great-grandfather, Leo Lyons, wasn't he there? Yeah, so uh, we'll be back to that beginning. I'll, I'll fast-forward myself. So, yeah, 1910, he had Walter Hagen with him, and then 1911, Henry or Leo recruits one of the first black uh, pro players, and Henry McDonald, who the Hall of Fame recognized, not inducted, but recognized as one of the first pro players. Uh, he wins the New York State title, uh, then in 1917, he plays Jim Thorpe and becomes friends with Jim Thorpe. And then, as I had just found out from the journal notes and were backed up by newspaper accounts, four days before the meeting in Canton to form the league, uh, his notes say Jim Thorpe over for dinner uh, after game. So I was like looking at the journal notes. I'm like, how could Jim Thorpe been in Rochester four days before they formed the league? I go, you know, I didn't believe it. So. Then I go to newspapers.com. I'm looking that date up September 14th. Oh, yeah. Leo was in, or Jim Thorpe was in Rochester playing baseball, International League Baseball with Akron, and he had been here in Rochester. And the headline of the sports section says, Jim Thorpe and Leo talk about football. Wow. <laughs> so, 
So, and actually in his notes, he says, Thorpe, hope he's going to Canton, but I think he's going deer hunting in Oklahoma or, <laughs> or being played baseball Friday. So not sure if he's going to make the, make the meeting. So yeah, Leo was there. I actually have the, again, Leo was so obsessed with football. He kept every little thing he was, you know, so I have the actual candlestick telephone that Leo writes down in his journal that Ralph Hay called him to come to Canton and a letter to a, <laughs> a week before saying, Leo, we want you to come to Canton. So, yeah, he was there the day they formed the NFL on September 17th. Let's let's talk about what that means to you real, real quick here. And then we, we have another segment after this. We'll, we'll have to wait through the news and everything. But what what does that mean to you knowing that, you know, your great-grandfather, two generations removed, you're that close to something that you think so fondly of, NFL football. I mean, it was it was Ralph Hay, some of the other people, Jim Thorpe, some of the others that were there that day. What does that mean um, that your family lineage is so close to that? It, it, it's amazing, especially, I would say, people have asked me, of all the things that you have, what is your most, you know, the famous thing. I have, like, the oldest NFL game ball from 1921 from the Bears at Wrigley Field. They're like, it must be that. I'm like, no, it's the journal notes because they're the personal, you know, handwritten accounts of, you know, he was seeing racism, he was seeing all kinds of things. And just those personal notes to actually go back into time are just, you know, incredible. So it is incredible knowing that he was there and was a part of the NFL from his entire life. Let's take a break here, uh, John, and then when we come back, I want to talk about some of the other things that are in those journal notes. I want to dive into those and some of the things he saw, some of the things that he lived through being part of the NFL that early, if you're okay with that. Yep, that sounds great. Great. We're going to take a break here. John Steffenhagen, historian of the Rochester Jeffersons, one of the original NFL teams on the line with us, his great-grandfather, Leo Lyons, played a huge role in everything dating back to that day here in Canton in 1920 when Ralph Hay put everything together. We're going to take a break here. We'll come back. John Steffenhagen when we return. It's John Bozica, 10 until noon, Monday through Friday. Here on 1480 WHBC. Well, we're going to continue our fascinating discussion right now with John Steffenhagen here on WHBC. John Bozica along with you as we're talking about the original NFL then known back in the day when it was first put together as the American Professional Football Association comprised of teams like the Canton Bulldogs, Dayton Triangles, Muncie Flyers, Akron Pros, and the Rochester Jeffersons, many others as well. Uh, The Decatur Staley's, so many great teams of the past. And as part of that, we're talking to a man named John Steffenhagen, as I said, and his great-grandfather, in Leo Lyons played a key role in some of the beginning parts of the NFL, being at some of those original meetings with Ralph Hay at the Hupmobile down here in uh, Canton, Ohio, and and just everything that went with that. And uh, we bring John back into the program now. John, again, thanks for joining the show, and uh, thanks for telling, I, I guess, part one of what we're talking about today. You mentioned before we went to break, you started to talk about how there was a a great collection of journal notes and journal entries from your great-grandfather of some of the things that he remembered from that time. Could you share some of those like high points that 
you found in looking back through all of those old notes that your great-grandfather wrote some 85, 90 years ago? Well, what was nice was that he was actually writing them like at the day after or even that day, that night uh, because he would be talking about like yesterday he did this or last night or today he did this. And he was really uh, like, again, he was more of a fan than a businessman, which he said, you know, pretty much cost him because he loved football so much that he just got caught up in the game. So some of the things that I would be reading was, uh, you know, his, one of his first journal notes were like uh, when he had Henry McDonald, one of the first uh, African-American players. Uh, the, the, when Henry came out of high school, he was the first African-American graduate from high school in 1911. Mm-hmm. And so there were there wasn't a large African American population here in Rochester, so he had started on the Rochester Oxford team, and they had played the Jeffersons twice. This is pre NFL. This is still Sandlot football in 1911. Uh, during the game, Leo writes down, notice his own teammates um, calling calling him names. Uh, Black boy was one of the the ones he wrote down in quotations, and he said. He had noticed in the second game that Henry McDonald ran for an 80-yard touchdown, goes over the goal line, and all the team is going crazy. They're all high-fiving each other, and Henry just walks back to the the bench by himself and sits down at the end of the bench. So that really stirred Leo. So he said after the game, he went over to the bench, and I guess all the other players were leaving. He was just putting his shoes in a bag or something, and uh, Leo's like, Henry – you're being, you're being, you're not being treated right here. Uh, if you join the Rochester Jeffersons, you won't have to deal with that. So from the, his next game until pre-NFL, he played with the Jeffersons. And I've got photos of Leo and Henry when they were 80 years old. <laughs> they ended up becoming lifelong friends. So uh, there were a lot of things like that. And there was actually a passage from a 1917 game where, Leo's playing line, and uh, when Henry was on the Jefferson team, uh, there was a player on the Tonawanda team who kept making remarks, black boy. And Leo said, I told him one more time, that'll be your last time. And then Leo said on the next play, I turned turned around and smacked him in the face and broke his nose. Wow. <laughs> and, he go, and he goes to parentheses, Herb Benzoni, who I looked up, and like his detail was so amazing. Herb Benzoni was the referee at the game. He goes, Benzoni just looked the other way and didn't make a call. Wow. So, and then he even mentions after the game, the Rochester Jeffersons had a famous boxer named Chubby Brown, who I've got pictures of. Uh, it says, after the game, Chubby, Chubby walked over to the Tonawanda bench and challenged them to all fight. And he goes, he put in uh, no takers. Wow. <laughs> So just things like that. And, and I've been contacted with people that are, you know, friends with Oprah Winfrey and, and Beyonce's father. And everybody's been, you know, even from the African-American, like the Smithsonian. Uh, I also have his cleats from the 1917 Jim Thorpe game. So and those things still have dirt. I mean, they're caked in there. They've got the nails that the cleats were, were nailed onto. There's pieces of nail hanging out of the shoe. And I actually have a picture of, Henry McDonald with those shoes because it's a black high top with a circle on the side. 
So I even actually have photo- photographic evidence that those were his shoes, and they're you know in an inventory list. But yeah, just it goes on and on. I mean, Jim Thor, uh, Red Grange, uh, George Hallis wrote it in his autobiography that Leo was there. Uh, there's a note from like 1925. Uh, Rochester Jefferson's played the New York Giants at the Polo Grounds a week before Grange signs with the Bears, and in his notes he says. Me and Tim were talking about uh, Red Grange and how he's coming out next week, and the two were scheming how they could get him away from George Hallis. But George <laughs> Hallis was also Leo's friend, so it was kind of a of a hit and miss thing. It was a lot of description about it. So Tim Mara and Leo went to the Morrison Hotel in Chicago. I've got Leo drawing the map of the hotel <laughs> and the hotel room number that they were in, and then says, uh, I think he said, crap, uh, C.C. Pyle just signed Grange. He goes, I think it happened week or days before, and I should have listened to Hallis. He told me Grange wouldn't come to Rochester. But you have all these firsthand accounts of, like, he was there at the hotel drawing these notes, you know. It's just amazing. <laughs> well, and, and my, my dad was telling me, because this past weekend, for those that don't know, um, the Professional Football Researchers Association held their – um biannual conference here in uh in canton and as part of that john Stephenhagen, who's on the program with us now uh the rochester jefferson's historian spoke about some of the things that he's talking about right here and he was telling me that when you were like a kid or something he said he remembered hearing that you were playing out in the yard and little did you know who was sitting on the porch with your great-grandfather could you tell that story I know. I, I, to me, it's like nothing, but people look at me like, you know, either you're full of crap or, or like what. So, yeah, back when he died in 1976, so I was nine years old. Uh, back when I was six or seven, or even when I was a baby, my mom would go visit him often because they lived nearby. So there was one day I remember being in the living room playing with my Hot Wheel cars, and my mom's like, shh, Leo has company. And I I remember looking up and I see these two guys going to the porch and they got these black suits on. They got cigars and a hat. Well, they took their hats off. Their hats are off. But they walked out onto the porch with Leo. And so I just remember them being these old guys. So then years later, my mom would say, oh, you remember those two guys who were with Leo? I'm like, yeah. He, she goes, that was uh, Art Rooney and George Hallis. <laughs> so I'm like, are you kidding me? And so... Even then, I, I was like, why would people have asked me to, today and are like, why would those two be at Leo's house? And it was during the summer. And I said, after all the research that I've done, those two were his best friends. I mean, George Hallis mentioned Leo Lyons in his induction speech in 1963. I mean, they were lifelong friends. So he was more involved in the NFL than just a guy that had a team for six years and they folded. Uh, he was involved with the NFL for a long, long time, and I have documents and memos to prove it. So it's, it's, it's an amazing story that's yet to be told of what his involvement was in the National Football League. You know, I, I know, John, that in talking to people around here, one of the people that people in this area feel should be in the Hall of Fame that isn't yet is Ralph Hay. Um, I guess I would ask the question of, of your great-grandfather. Do you think, based on what you know about him, do you think he deserves a spot in the Hall of Fame? At first I said no, and I had talked to Bob Carroll and Joe Oregon and everything, and, and you know, he said what separates him than some of the other guys that are close 
But after all the things that I've seen and, and just recently seeing the documents from the meetings, you know, he was behind, he was the guy who I have the memos from Leo bugging uh, Pete Rozelle. Pete, we need a museum like the Baseball Hall of Fame. He was, Leo was storing all these things in his paint store, which is amazing that it didn't go up in flames. But, yeah, I would say from all the things I've said now, seen now, yes, I think he should be a contributor to uh, the Hall of Fame. And I believe that Rolf Hayes should also be, you know, really Rolf has, you don't really see his name as much as it should be. The guys that started the league really should be recognized more, I believe. I mean, what their yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's wild to think that it was basically a group of guys that are like, you know, not much different from you and I, you know, and, right. and, and they were the guys that put together the Hall of Fame. And I think that's that's one of the things that strikes me about everything that you've said is that, you know, now when we think of people that own NFL teams, we think of people that run these franchises, they make millions and, and you know, millions mm-hmm. of dollars. I mean, these were. These were middle-class people doing this, weren't they, John? Yeah, they were. And actually, the famous story, which historians know, Leo actually put up his house for mortgage. Uh, he almost lost his house uh, so he could get a $5,000 check in hand to give Red Grange. And as well, during the NFL years, Leo worked three jobs uh, day and night to support the team. And, yeah, these guys really – you're only talking about a handful of guys like Ralph Hay and Leo and Hallis. Those, I mean, Hallis is recognized. You know, some of the bigger names are recognized, but the people like, uh, you know, Jimmy O'Donnell and Chris O'Brien, some of the other guys that started the Cardinals, nobody knows who they are. And it's like, I think, you know, I'd like to see things change at the Hall of Fame as far as uh, more recognition for the guys who started the league. John Steffenhagen is my guest. He's a great historian for the Rochester Jeffersons one of the original NFL teams. John, do you think because of the fact that the NFL's early inception teams were so, you know, kind of um, loosely put together that, you know, they would be a team one day and then they would fold the next. Do you think because of that, that that's what's caused the lack of maybe support for a person like your great grandfather and for some of the others involved in the early NFL? Right. Yeah. That's where I would say, you know, maybe some of the other, I mean, some of the guys ended up going on to become lawyers, doctors, you know, they went on and did their thing, but Leo didn't stop after that. I mean, he was involved with collecting and he was a historian of honorary historian of the NFL and he collected the things he was behind the, a lot of the things at the hall of fame. He was there for the coin toss, the cake cutting ceremony. I mean, he spent his entire life, but that's what Art Rooney and George Hales would say throughout their times in the newspaper. Nobody else, gave as much blood and sweat and dedication to the NFL like Leo. And so, I mean, I realize that he's my family member, so I'm going to stick up for him more than other people. And I know that other people also have other great things that they did. But, yeah, I just think that, you know, that they should recognize these guys. Well, I can tell you this, uh, regardless of um, what happens in the future, if you ever need someone to speak in in good standing of of your great-grandfather and his, I guess, deserving nature of being in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Myself and my father will both vouch for you because uh, it's quite a story. And and I can't thank you enough for joining today and telling the story. And 
Um, I know there's stuff in here that the people of Canton had not heard before because it's stuff that I had never heard before. So, uh, John Steffenhagen, uh, historian for the Rochester Jeffersons, thank you so much for the time this morning, and uh, I really look forward to keeping our friendship going. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Have a good one, sir. You too. John Steffenhagen there. Just amazing stuff that, you know, I mean, from, I guess I don't care what it is that you talk about in that, but when you start thinking about some of the people that he was involved with, think of George Hallis, think of the Mara family. You think of Walter Hagen's involvement with Leo Lyons. I mean, this guy knew people. He was connected throughout the years. And even his involvement with someone like Vince Lombardi, Red Grange, some of the other individuals, Jim Thorpe. It's amazing that this guy is not in the Hall of Fame. And I think he very much so deserves a spot, but I think much like all of the other early contributors to the NFL, I think because of the fact the league was so, you know, I won't say disorganized, but because there was not that general thought of respect from the world yet towards the league where people really didn't know a lot of these people, I think it left it in a weird state where a lot of these stories that are very important to where we're at now have gotten lost. They've gotten lost with history and lost with time. And um, I'm just happy that someone like John Steffenhagen is out there to try to tell this story of his great grandfather and let you and I know about it so that we can better form an opinion on what the NFL is now and what it's always been before.